0: It's a terrible story, really, of the brutalisation of kids. It was all a front and a sham because Stan was a con man and a crook to the core. And they put that bomb in a stolen Holden Commodore and they get to Russell Street. I'm Andrew Rule. In this episode, we continue the story of the abduction and murder of Prue Bird, a teenage girl who disappeared in terrible circumstances. In this episode, we link Prue's disappearance to one of Melbourne's worst crimes, the Russell Street bombing of 1986. The backstory to the disappearance of Prue Bird in 1992 takes us back many, many years. It even predates the Russell Street bombing. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, Prue's grandmother, she's a young grandmother, she's a 40-year-old grandmother. Her name is Julie. Julie. Julie's divorced. Julie's got sort of grown-up kids or, you know, teenage kids, one of them being Jenny. And Julie starts visiting Pentridge to visit uh, a young prisoner called Kevin Taylor. Now, Kevin Taylor's the young painter and docker who was convicted over the shooting of Pat Shannon, a famous painter and docker shooting at a hotel in South Melbourne, one of the the big dock wars um, events of the 70s. And in fact, um, Billy the Texan Longley was heavily involved in that and it was a notorious case. Kevin Taylor also found some fleeting fame as the man who cut Chopper Reed's ears off at Chopper's behest in uh, age division because Chopper wanted to get into the prison hospital and persuaded Kevin, who didn't really want to do it, to cut his ears off with a razor blade, um, which, of course, nearly killed Chopper Reed through loss of blood. But anyway, that's neither here nor there, it just tells you that uh, she was visiting some fairly colourful characters. So she's in there talking to Kevin Taylor and uh, he's, well, he's a murderer um, probably and a violent man and probably a robber and a few things, but probably not a bad bloke compared with some of the other people in Pentridge at the time. And sadly, Julie gets introduced to one of these bad people. She's introduced to another prisoner called Paul Hetzel, Paul Hetzel was a baden from a very young age. He was lucky to be alive because he'd actually taken a pot shot at a policeman when he was 14. And generally, in the 60s, if you took a shot at a policeman, uh, whether you were 14 or not, you'd end up dead. But he, he didn't end up dead. He ended up growing up into a nasty, cunning, narcissistic, malevolent crook. And he ends up in jail. He was the youngest or only son of somebody... Uh, quite respectable, and he was quite an intelligent man and quite presentable. And he was 10 years younger than Julie, Julie Julie, the knockabout mother of four, and he uh, cons Julie nicely, as often happens when women visit blokes in jail. They get wrapped up in them because the sort of caged animal routine. Every prison waiting room has women in it who should know better than to visit some of the blokes that they're visiting. Anyway, this was one of those jail romances. And Hetzel is a manipulator. He's pretty smooth. He's pretty polished. And Julie is the perfect object for him. She's notionally a clean skin. She's a bit rough around the edges, but she doesn't have a criminal record. And she's the ideal person for him to groom as his woman for when he gets out. And lo and behold, when he gets out, um, he turns up at... Her place, and he's to pick up the Ford LTD that she's already bought him. He's carrying a briefcase, he's wearing a suit, and he's carrying a briefcase. And in the briefcase, you'd think he might have, you know, a book or contracts. He hasn't, he's got a handgun. So he's all set for his new life on the outside. Julie had ignored the advice of another prisoner when um, she'd taken up with Hetzel. This other prisoner said, Beware of that man, he will bring nothing but grief and tragedy into your life. And that other prisoner was right. Because Paul Hetzel did bring nothing ultimately but grief and tragedy into Julie's life and especially into the lives of Julie's family, particularly Jenny Bird. And this is why. Because inside, Paul Hetzel had made friends with various movers and shakers, including an old crook called Stan Taylor, a violent man. He'd been in the system since he was eight or ten. He was from a Richmond family It's a terrible story really of the brutalization of kids. He'd been thrown in the boys' homes at eight eight years old where he was probably sexually abused and certainly physically abused. His own father was a violent drunk who used to take his sons Stan and his brothers to pubs and have them stage fights and um, fist fights as little kids in front of the, in the public bar, so that um, the patrons would throw money in and all the rest of it. Very bad start in life. And uh, Stan Taylor was a intelligent, superficially charming man, but violent and very screwed up. In jail, he was a model prisoner, and he pelled up with Hetzel because they were manipulators and they were cunning and so on. I think they both were tied up with the Pentridge players, the acting group uh, those those sort of guys. Because when Stan got out, Stan made a great show of being a bit part actor he got bit parts in things like Homicide or Prisoner. He also was involved in amateur theatre he's also involved in looking after troubled youth and uh, trying to show them the right way in life and not to take the, the bad steps that he'd taken as a youngster he wanted to do the right thing and so on and so on. It was all a front and a sham because Stan was a con man and a crook to the core. And Stan had befriended these young fellows out in the eastern suburbs, the Minogue brothers, Craig and Rodney, and some other young blokes. And, you know, he he was notionally taking them on camps and teaching them bushcraft and all sorts of stuff, and that was all very wonderful. What he was actually doing was grooming these young blokes to be like attack dogs for him. He was grooming them to be armed robbers that he could manipulate Cat's Paws. And that was the start of the what we now call the Russell Street bomb gang. Because Stan Taylor hated police. He'd probably been brought up to hate police. He'd been belted by police. He'd been locked up in institutions, as he saw it, by the police, where he was then probably abused. So he had this, you know, probably fairly irrational hatred of police. And... Stan, he was charismatic and he was older and he was quite an impressive man in many ways. He was a carpenter too. He was good with his hands. I know a, a well-known actress who was a star in Prisoner who got him to build her a new kitchen. So he, he was, you know, well-liked and, and all that and fairly well-trusted by some people who perhaps should have known better. Anyway, um, Stan used these young guys to do crimes and they started to do armed robberies around the place. Stan would help plan them, and then these young fellas would execute the robberies. And they were building towards a big one, a big hit. And they came up with this plan, we we now know, to stage a monstrous robbery by using a diversion tactic. And the diversion tactic was to be to let off a bomb at Russell Street Police Station. Now, originally, they wanted to get a car inside the police station, I believe, where it would have done maximum damage to police and to the station. Through Paul Hetzel, they have a connection with Jenny Bird's siblings. One of them is a fairly dopey sort of guy, a, a, a petty crook, nobody much, who had a connection with a quarry, and at the quarry they used jelly night and detonators to blow up rocks, of course. And they got this patsy, basically Jenny's brother, to pinch the Jallignite and the detonators and they use that to construct a bomb and they put that bomb in a stolen Holden Commodore and they get to Russell Street in Easter Easter Thursday of 1986 and they can't drive it in through the big gates that were regularly shut, open and shut for some reason they didn't have a pass or they, they they lucked out in some way so they parked it out the front of Russell Street the then big police station in Melbourne Russell Street, the top end up towards Carlton and um, this resonates with reporters of my age because we had actually worked in an office there right where that car was parked pretty well and we had worked there and if we'd still been working there and had stepped out on the street that day, you know, many of us wouldn't wouldn't be here today, but that, that office had just been moved. So the bomb erupts, as we all know, on that day, and it is unbelievably lucky that it didn't kill police by the dozen and passes by by the dozen, because it was a massive explosion. It was just dumb luck, really. What it did do was it injured Angela Taylor, a young woman, 20-year-old, 21-year-old police constable, who was just crossing the road and she was so badly injured she died in hospital some days later. It did injure some other people. A person who could have been killed so easily that day was Charlie Bazina, well known to Herald Sun readers particularly and well known around Melbourne Later, as a Homicide Squad detective later on. On that particular day, he had parked an undercover car that he was driving, a plane car, near the bomb car and he'd walked straight down Russell Street to Sammy Bears, which is a well-known uh, place where he could buy camping gear and all that sort of stuff, like disposal store. He was buying some camping gear to go camping with his kids at Easter and Easter started the next day. So because he'd walked down the street to Sammy Bears immediately, he didn't get blown up. There's bad luck and good luck, but there was a, there was a lot of good luck in this because a lot of people didn't get killed who could have. It was the first time in my memory that a sort of a, A semi-terrorist act had happened in Australia but this obviously was criminally motivated but no one knew exactly what it was at the time. The bombers are caught fairly rapidly, well it got the undivided attention of the entire police force in uh, in Victoria and around Australia which does help. Also these cunning old crooks who knew what had happened, one being Stan Taylor, one being Hetzel, they were falling over themselves to put their hand up and dob in the other guys so that they could talk their way around it. I believe that what happened was that Paul Hetzel got to the police first to tell his story before Stan Taylor could. So in the end, the police charged Stan Taylor. They charged Craig Minogue, one of the young fellows They charged Rodney Minogue, Craig's younger brother. And they, they did have some other charges against some other people, lesser charges. Ultimately, what happened was Stan Taylor and Craig Minogue were sentenced to life for, or very long sentences, for, um, for the bombing. And uh, Rodney Minogue had his overturned on appeal, but was locked up for many years for robbery charges. Now, that's a well-known fact. What, what's not as well-known is this, that during that trial, their trial, evidence is given, of course, by Paul Hetzel and by Paul Hetzel's common-law wife, Julie. Julie being grandmother of Little Prue, mother of Jenny. When she's giving her evidence, she says, and she swore on oath that this happened, so it was believed, she swore on oath that Craig Minogue at one point in the past had said, you'd never want to give evidence against us. He made some threat because you wouldn't want anything to happen to your precious Little Prue, would you? Now, at this stage, Little Prue's just a little girl. She's probably six Seven, she goes around with her granny, Julie, and the man she calls Pop, Pop being Paul Hetzel. She calls him Pop. And they visit, you know, these bad guys. They're visiting the Monogues, they're visiting Stan Taylor, they're visiting Peter Walker. He's the guy that escaped with Ronald Ryan in 1966 and killed a man and was lucky not to be hanged alongside Ryan. So they're visiting all these sort of people around Victoria. And, of course, the crooks are seeing a little Prue as this little girl. And Julie swore that this th- oblique threat was made many years earlier. So when Prue goes missing six or seven years later, it doesn't take that long for people to put two and two together. And I think the media was fairly quickly onto it. Obviously, Jenny Bird was feared it. And obviously, some police feared that that was true. But it was a a theory that didn't get much currency at the high levels of the police force for some time because it was probably politically a problem for them. And the longer this went on, the more clear it became that it was probably the abduction and obviously the murder of Prue, Uh, although it couldn't be proven that it would be probably connected to the Russell Street bombing that was a payback by... People connected with the bombers. And as we already know, Jenny Bird, a week after the abduction, has seen a man drive past her by slowly staring at her, and she recognises him later when she sees the police pictures as one of the alleged bombing gang. So that connection is pretty well established. It is many years, though, many years later, before that connection is proven. Thanks for listening. Coming up in next week's episode, Leslie Camilleri is one of two men who were convicted of what we call the Bega schoolgirl murders. So she took Prue out of breaking out of the shed, which Prue would have done. Police get a message from a prisoner in Barwon Prison that a fellow prisoner is claiming that he knows something about the Prue Bird murder. G'day, I'm Aaron Langmaid, and have I got a podcast for you. If you want to hear from amazing people with remarkable stories to tell, then subscribe now to You're Telling Me. It's available on iTunes or by listening out at theheraldsun.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts.